Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, December 6, 2020. We are continuing on with our Metamorphosis series, where we have the hope of being transformed from one level of maturity to another, from one type of person into an entirely different type of person. We've been building on the need for transformation. Last Sunday, we began to talk about three particular generals in King David's army, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. That Joab-like nature in us, that the only solution is for him to be crucified of his own prerogatives, of his own desires, of his own will. Then we move to Abishai, who came from the same household, the same literal DNA as Joab, but found something that Joab never could. He found out that it was more important to be able to fight for the king, to be able to fight for the king's desires and his prerogatives above all else. And then we have Ittai. Somebody say Ittai. Ittai. Man, that foreigner, that alien, that one who should have been far off but came and said, I'm not entitled to anything, but I pledge to you, King David. I pledge my life. I pledge my death. I pledge me and my family and everyone that's else that's within us, that's with us. See, God is building some Ittais in this house. Can somebody say Amen. Amen. Were you guys blessed by the psalm progression? Psalm 22, 23, and 24? You know, whenever there is a, a, an issue, a problem, particularly a question, we need answers. Praise God, the Word gives us answers, and particularly how Psalm 22 answers the issue of Joab inside of us. And that answer is found in the suffering king of Psalm 22. In Psalm 23, do you guys remember what that spoke of? What kind of king was it? Shout it to me shepherding king and this was meant as a means of informing the abishai inside of us we'd be committed to shepherding in psalm 24 we had what kind of king superior king say it one more time is it superior superior we had a superior king and that superior king encourages the itai inside of us but did you guys catch at the very end we hinted at where we were going to go this morning all right we remissed you real good we hinted that we were going to bring you some, some revelation from the book of Revelation. Oh, come on now. So everybody turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. We'll start at verse 1 and say metamorphosis whenever you're there. They're getting there. Revelation 1, 1, it says this, the revelation from jesus christ mm. the the revelation from jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants what must soon take place now before you get too excited before yeah. you get overjoyed about the current location of the great whore of babylon or the power of the two witnesses that your already minds are already working on. Yep. Or even the heptatic structure, the heptatic haven that the book of Revelation is. Hey now. With seven vials or seven trumpets or seven bowls or the seven lampstands or whatever you may be thinking about. It's easy to get caught up in uh, trying to find a precise prediction of what the book of Revelation is all about. An ordering of those events that are described in the book. And by the way. Praise God. Work on that. Study this. It's, gonna, it's an incredible book to study. But I want to let you know that that is not our goal today. Our goal is not to, to show you how many sevens that we can get into this book or pull out of it. Our goal today is exactly what this passage says. That God gave a revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John. Why? To show his servants what must soon take place. The goal of today, in the very first verse that we're reading, in the very first book, verse in the book of Revelation, is that we might know what must soon take place. But not just what soon may take place in the world as in its entirety, but what soon must take place inside of each of us today. Can somebody amen. say amen? Amen. Now, as we're beginning with Revelation 1, verse 1, this brings us to an overall understanding. That what God is after is his bride, right? But the, the general consensus and understanding and perspective of the book of Revelation, it's about war, right? Yeah. 
We see lots of elements of things that are going to war. But what we're drawing your attention to this morning is what are you going to war for? What's the end goal? It is a wedding story that's being told. That what God is fighting for in the book of Revelation and fighting for within us, what must soon take place inside of us, is to be qualified as a participant in the bride of Christ as joining in a wedding with the King of Kings. In fact, that brings us to our, or back to our, our sermon series, Metamorphosis. That what must soon take place in us is the completion of what God is doing inside of us to transform us in the process of metamorphosis. So today, uh, or the, the sermon title of today's sermon is Metamorphosis, a Wedding Story. Let's continue on in verse 1 here in Revelation 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw. And in case you need to know everything that he saw, here it is summed up in the next phrase. That is the word of God. Somebody say the word of God. God. And the testimony of Jesus Christ. Somebody say testimony. testimony. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. The church world wants to get away from reading the book of Revelation because we want to put it off somewhere else. It's because they don't understand that it's actually a wedding story mixed with a war story that is a wedding story. Blessed are you when you read the words of this book aloud. Thank you very much for allowing me to read it to you. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. What is written in it because the time is near. Church, we want you to be blessed today. We want you to have it read to you. We want you to have the double blessing that comes from you hearing the book of Revelation and taking it to heart. That's what we're after today. We've got to talk about what soon must take place. This is going to give us the context for our sermon this morning. What soon must take place. Jesus received a revelation from the Father about what soon must take place inside of his servants. That metamorphosis that has to take place in us today. And we are ready. I can feel the presence of God here with us. I know that he is going to do some amazing things today. I know that he is going to breathe on some dry bones and start an army of God in this place today. I know that like Mephibosheth, some who have been feel like you have broken legs and you cannot walk, you're going to be carried to the king's table today and made a righteous son of the king. Saints, you're going to get some encouragement this morning. I mean, a, a joyful level of encouragement. I'm talking about the kind that is able to encourage you of what must soon take place inside of us. That we are being transformed. We're being changed. You know that moment whenever you were born again and there was that instantaneous transformation, that changing of who you were and a changing of the course of your life, that process never stops. That we have the opportunity to experience change on a daily basis. And what God is going to give us here in the book of Revelation is how it looks in the end and the goal that he's shooting for. So let's go to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to pick up with verse 5. As you're turning there, let me give you the context of what's happening here in chapter 5, right? There is a, a scroll, a scroll that needs to be opened, and no one is able to open it. This scroll is a wedding document. What you see is that it's written on, or the, the items are written on both sides of it. What this should bring immediately to mind is what we know as a ketubah. It's a contract, and particularly it's a wedding contract. It can also be seen as a title deed of Israel. In addition to that, the unveiling of history of all mankind. Bound up within it are the things that God wants to reveal about his plan, but its, its focus is about a contract that he's going to have with his people and the revealing of what the details are within the contract. So let's pick up within verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. It's good to have elders. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Well, this shows the importance of elders, but the elders had insight to what the full plan of God was going to be. 
Isn't it good whenever we have a voice of an elder speaking to our life that can see, help us see the bigger picture, what God's after? It dries up our tears and it gives us courage like the courage of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, what that leads to is the word triumph. Everybody say the word triumph. Triumph. The triumph isn't that he opened the seven seals. It's because he has triumphed that then he is able to open the seven seals. It was a means of qualification that he's laying out exactly the path of how to unveil the contents of the wedding dock. Church, did you get what pastor just said? The triumph is because of what Jesus Christ had already done and that made him worthy to open the seals on the scroll. It made him worthy. It was something that he had already done. He has triumphed. Therefore, he can open what is in this scroll. He can understand and lay it out before God's people. Let's look at verse 6 to see what was the precipitation of his triumph. Then I looked, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. I saw a lamb. The elder saying, look at this lion. Look at how he's triumphed. And when I looked, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Come on now, this isn't just a lamb that's, that's laying down on the ground. This is a lamb that had been slain that is now standing at the center. Somebody say center. center. Standing front and center in the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now before you get caught up in the horns and the eyes and the spirits, what are we after today? We're after understanding the wedding story that is before us. See, this is a scene in the heavens. It puts the crucifixion in its proper place. It puts it right front and center for us to understand that the crucifixion was not a tragedy. It was the triumph of all time. It is a triumph that the man, a God, God himself came down and took on the form. This lion of the tribe of Judah came and made himself like a lamb. He took on humanity. He set aside his divinity. Uh, Philippians 2 says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. He let it go. Why? He laid aside that divinity. Why? So that as a human being, he could show you and he could show me that he was obedient unto death. It's okay. You're acting like, yes, pastor, we already know this. See, never before had a man done something like this. Never before. This is a triumph. What is the triumph of Revelation 5? The triumph of Revelation 5 is is that our great Messiah, this lion, became a lamb and was obedient to death. That is the pathway that the Messiah has laid out for us. This is not a tragedy. It's a triumph, church. Do Do you see the setting that's being laid out by Revelation 5? That you have this longing to the point where John is weeping for this revelation of the wedding story to be unveiled. And the result of Jesus' tragedy qualified him. The triumph qualified him to be able to open up and give revelation of God's entire plan of what that wedding story looked like. Uh, We can't say this enough. The cross was not a tragedy. It was triumph. You know what this does for us? It gives us proper perspective of whenever we are joining Jesus on the cross. That is not the the finality of how our lives are going to play out. That there is a constant availability of resurrection power that then qualifies us to participate in the wedding story. We must walk away from this message with the fact that this is a triumph and a metamorphosis that's needed inside of us. So say this with me. Say, I need this this morning. I need this this morning. Change me, mighty God. Change me, mighty God. See, when you're going through this process of metamorphosis and you're joining in the tragedy that leads to triumph, it qualifies you as well to be that lion of the tribe of Judah, to be that lion in the faith. You can rule with him 
because you are like him. That's a, that's a foundational truth. Please write it down. Please document it. You're going to need to come back to this many times a day. That you have the right to rule with him because you have participated in becoming like him. Come on, this book is more than just about vials and trumpets and seals and uh, peals of thunder and everything else. It's about what must take place inside of you. The metamorphosis that produces this attitude to be obedient unto death. See, obedience is defined by doing what you've been asked to do, whether you like it or not. Demonstrating with action that you trust the direction of who is giving it to you because you're trusting that the result is going to be better than that which you can work with your own arm. We've heard or been in situations ourselves as kids or maybe even as adults our heart leaps whenever the Lord asks us to do something that we want to do. Yes, I finally get to do what I want to do, but for you, Lord. But he is so good at being a good father that works into us this same attitude. No, 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 no. You're going to get what you want to do, what you always hope for. It's not going to look like exactly what you wanted because I'm going to demand that you are obedient to me as unto death, because that's exactly what I asked for my firstborn son. And that's the only path to get to triumph. Come on, church. What we're trying to do is encourage you about something that you have already thought about in the past. Is anybody like me, and in the past you've thought about the cross before, and it's brought tears to your eyes? Yeah. Yeah. It's something that was so moving. It's the very part of your life that brought life into it, that made it worth living. What we're trying to encourage you today is this not should be something that brings us tears only to our eyes, but it causes us to stand up and say, this is the greatest triumph in the history of mankind. This is a triumph that we can see and that we must become. That we must see and we must become. This is what's got to take place in us. I'm so excited I'm having trouble speaking right now. Hallelujah! I gotta calm down. This is what has to take place in us. This is what the metamorphosis that we need. This is what Ittai is saying when he says, To you, my king, I'm going to pledge my life or my death. I'm going to do whatever you say. But even as we're thinking about Ittai, even as we're tying it into Revelation 5 here, think about what Ittai is saying. Whether it means life or death, that's where I'm going to be. What does that sound like if not wedding language? I pledge through the good times and the bad, for richer or for poorer, in life and all the way until my death. May only death separate what we're doing here. And what we're saying here in Revelation is, is that death cannot separate what's going on with the Lord. See, this wedding language, this pledge, this vow, Lord, I love you. Lord, I see that you love me and you have set the example for me. This allows you to see him as the most superior of all kings. This allows this attitude that was in the groom that he has demonstrated to become part of what the bride must be. It's not just enough for him to do it. It's the same metamorphosis that's taking place in us so that we can also be exactly what he is. Come on now, this is a precious time for us. Let's turn the page and go to Revelation 6, and we're going to look at verse 1 now. Say wedding story when you get there. Isn't it comforting whenever you have an example before you of how you're supposed to do something? Yeah. It gives us the confidence to know that we can do it, And that also, once we know how to do something, we can train somebody else. Well, what you should be seeing in our progression in Revelation is that we have a groom who's gone before us. That he has set the standard of how us as the bride are to follow him, but the goal is to become like him. If he had this same attitude, that's the exact same attitude that we have. 
And I can trust by looking at the life of Jesus, knowing where it's going to land, because the same will happen for me. But it's going to require a complete obedience even unto death. Let's look here in in chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud uh, voice like thunder, Come! See, there's, there's a lot of conjecture about exactly the meanings and progressions of these seals, right? The deep, in-depth study of the sowed revelation of what these things mean. But our purpose this morning is that we want to see what must soon take place inside of us, right? So we're going to zoom in on how this word is speaking directly to our daily lives and what must happen inside of us that's becoming just like our groom. We want to identify the methods of metamorphosis that God uses to make us exactly who the groom is. With this as our goal, we see the seals of Revelation 6 in light of 2 Chronicles 6. See, Solomon mentions all the same kind of elements that are used in Revelation 6 to cause a sinner to see their need to repent. Right? So once again, I'm saying that we're looking at these seals from the perspective that is paralleled in 2 Chronicles 6 to know what causes a sinner to see their need to repent. Solomon begins by praying certain things to the Lord. Even at the dedication of the temple is what the, the backdrop for 2 Chronicles 6 is. He starts talking about famine and plague and blight and mildew, locusts and grasshoppers, enemies, disaster and disease. He begins to work through this, and what we're, we want you to understand is listen to what this is supposed to do. It was supposed to cause his people to cry out for repentance. It was supposed to cause his people to understand the nature of the times and to begin to cry out famine, that you're unable to produce the food that you need, a plague of blight and mildew, that what you have produced gets destroyed. Locusts and grasshoppers were the elements of creation are there and they are frustrating and working against you and what you're trying to accomplish. The enemies that besiege you. Just warfare in every front. A disaster. Those natural disasters like earthquakes, like hurricanes, like floods, or disease. Physical afflictions. What we're trying to show you is that all the way back in 2 Chronicles 6 is, is what Solomon is praying about are the very forces that are used to try to make God's people repent. And we're seeing it again. This is always the way. This is God consistently using this and how he deals with humanity. These are not unusual things by the time we get to Revelation 6. These are always the mechanisms that come over and over and over again because he's trying to do something and speak something to us. But rather than focus and get lost in these details today, we've got to remind you of what must soon take place in you of what soon must take place in me that is the context this is what we're going back to this idea of the wedding story the sixth chapter of revelation helps you to understand the path that you must learn to walk that you must learn to walk you have to be obedient unto death if the fifth chapter in revelation is speaking to you about how the messiah walked his path then the sixth chapter is the triumph of how we are supposed to walk, which is laying down our life and becoming obedient to death. The fifth chapter of this is about the triumph and how our Messiah walked. Man, that is an encouragement, isn't it? That's a revelation to us. That's showing us something that even the heavens must declare. In chapter six, you're learning the triumph of how you and I are to walk. And guess what? It's the exact same way. It's the metamorphosis that's needed in us that we might be exactly what our groom is. That we might walk exactly as he walked. We're not trying to approximate it. We're not trying to look and say, he's one thing, but we are something different. We're saying today that the path that you are on, if you are a real believer, is to walk and become exactly what he is. Come on, that's going to need a metamorphosis. That's going to require a metamorphosis in our life that we walk the way he did. Come on, church. Say, change me. Change me. Oh, say it louder. Say, change me. Change me. What we're hearing this morning is the method by which you are changed. 
It's being able to have a perspective that sees triumph and not tragedy. See, everything that was listed in 2 Chronicles 6, with the human eyes and natural heart, you see it as just tragedy. But what Solomon saw it as, what God saw it as, is a means of triumph for his people. I, just, I, want, to, I want you to pause and reflect about your own very life right now. How many times has God allowed difficulties and hardships to come into your life so that it could, he could get your attention and cause you to repent, which led you to a greater level of shalom and ultimately a greater level of maturity. That maturity is actually the progression of being changed into exactly who is he is. That our reflex has to be tragedy is present, but it's not tragedy. It is my triumph that I'm able to now be changed even more into who my groom is. Let's look at this further in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Get this, because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. See, not only did the man who was a savior do it for us, Jesus himself, so do those who hold to the word and the testimony. But I want you to see a metamorphosis here. That those that were faithful to hold to the word and the testimony became just like Jesus, the word and the testimony. When you draw from your personal experience that whenever you are holding and maintaining the word of God and the testimony of what he's doing inside of you, what he will do inside of you, it then becomes a native part of who you are. Anytime someone mentions Romans chapter 12, all I think about is verse 1 and 2. You know why? Because that verse gave me the ability to be just like my groom in the midst of tragedy that I could see as triumph. So as you are holding on to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, not only will you be included in this same group, you will become just like who he is. Church, are you catching the same parallels between this verse and the very first verse in Revelation 1? What was John What was shown to him? What was the revelation of Jesus Christ? It was the word and it was the testimony of Jesus Christ. See what the Lord was showing him from the very first verse, from the very first moments of this revelation was now what the people are exuding in their own lives. These are standing there holding to the word, holding to the testimony. They were able to maintain it. Their obedience cost them their lives, and they held on and showed that the true revelation of God was at work in them. This is not a tragedy. Don't feel bad for these people who gave their lives because they were obedient to death. Don't you mourn over this. Stand up and understand that this is a triumph, that men and women can do this, who hold to the word, who hold to the testimony. You are able to do this as you are transformed into what the groom is. Those who have been transformed, and there are men and women in this room who are being transformed into this now. We're looking at it and saying, Lord, we don't want to just be those who say they will be obedient to death. We don't want to just be those who pledge one thing and live another. God, we've got to be transformed into what you are, into what you are, the exact same substance. This is not too lofty of a goal for us to get in this room. This is the path that we must walk on. This is not a fairy tale somewhere else. This is what every man and every woman in this room must do. It's what you must have the metamorphosis in you to become. Look at verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe. Somebody say white robe. White robe. Told you it was a wedding story. And they were told to wait a little longer. Just wait just a little bit longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers, were killed just as they had been. In five, we see that this is the pathway of the Messiah, that he had to be obedient to death. In six, we see a remnant of people. We see people who are now doing the exact same thing that the Messiah done. And they have to wait. 
because there's more that are yet to come into this fold. This is what's taking place in us, in his servants. We, as the bride of Christ, are learning to triumph through the loss of our lives. We're learning how to do this. We're allowing the metamorphosis to take place in us. It's not about our speech. It's about our life. It's about the substance of what we are. Husbands setting an example and wives following. Wives becoming what their husbands are. Our groom is setting the example. And as the bride, we have to become what he is. You don't lose who you are. You get to become what he is. Let that sit on you for just a second. Why do wives have trouble following their husbands? Because they're afraid. Period. I had more, but I'm just going to stop that one right there. They're afraid that they're going to lose who they are. But what about what I've been called to do? You've been called to follow your husband. And in that, you become more than what you were to start with. Wives, listen to me in this room. You're not less when you do it this way. You become more. Why are you fighting to be less? We're fighting for you to be more. Become what your husbands are. You are more that way. It's a demonic onslaught to keep you from thinking that way. If you're reading books only from women authors, you need to be careful. Pastor, are you against that? No, but when they're feeding things in you that allow you to stay separate and something different than what your husband is, you're wrong. And I love you enough to be a good pastor to say it on a mic recorded for all the world to see. You need to be reading the word of God and enjoying the place that God put you in. You become more. You're afraid and you're operating in things that are causing you to become less. Church, we're never going to back away from difficulty because the church doesn't. The church of God does not back away from difficulty because it's the very method of our metamorphosis. It's the bride taking on his name, but more than his name, the bride has to take on the character. The bride has to take on the nature. The bride has to take on the very abilities of the husband. That is what marriage is about, and that's what revelation is about, showing us that we can become like our groom, that we must become of the exact same substance as him. Church, this is an important thing for us to grasp today. It's seen in every area of our life. God is making us into what he is. That is our, our, our goal this morning, is that you find encouragement that you can. You can become exactly like your groom. And I'm speaking on all levels and tiers of maturity in the room. So pastors spoke about wives. Wives, you're inspired by the strength and by the abilities of your husband. But those strengths and abilities are there for you to become like him, just like him. Husbands, men in the room, that your king has set for you the example of what you can become. Come on, let's be honest. You know what fear does? Fear begins to disqualify every reason why you cannot. Hey, I want you to pick up this 1,000-pound weight. I can't. But Jesus did it. Yeah, but I'm not Jesus. No, it creates a dependency that says, I can because your strength is at work within me. I can do the impossible, which is going to lead to me becoming exactly like my groom. That when we have this same attitude, I'm going to be obedient even unto death. If it kills me to pick up that thousand pound weight, I am going to attempt it anyway because I know that process of metamorphosis is going to result in me being triumphant and looking exactly like my groom. 
See, we are carrying around death in ourselves that the life of Christ might be revealed. Exactly like 2 Corinthians 4 says. And it is our joy to walk in the path of crucifixion in all things so that we might become like our king in death and his resurrection. Let me give you some insight. Any time your obedience is causing you death, you are becoming more like Christ. Let me say that again. That's, that's worth writing down, scribing in your heart and paper. Anytime your obedience is causing your death, you are becoming more like Christ. That should result in a victorious shout of hallelujah because you are participating in triumph, not in tragedy. Hallelujah. That should produce a shout of hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a reality that metamorphosis is taking place inside of you. Inside of you men, inside of you women, the wives, the husbands, the disciples, the children. Instilling in everybody the same attitude that Jesus had. I'm going to be obedient unto death because that's what's going to make me just like my my Lord. Church, we're trying to show you the path of the Messiah in chapter 5 of Revelation. We're trying to show you the path of the bride in chapter 6. Let's look at chapter 7. Let's start in verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3 says this, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. The rest of the chapter goes on to list 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes to give you your 144,000. In chapter 7, it's easy to get lost in the idea of whether this is a military census a symbolic number of some type or some other theory that's floating out there. Church, what we're saying to you today as your pastors is that God seals every one of his servants from every nation. But what you're seeing here, the specific number is the ones that are sealed from Israel, from the very heart of what he has set out, that it starts in Israel and it returns there. The point is is that Israel is still the center of the story and no harm will come to the faithful Listen to me, from God's hand. No harm will come from God's hand. It doesn't mean that these won't experience difficulties and pain. Why? Because we're saying that's not a tragedy. That's not what we're trying to get away from. There was a pastor in California who decided to call his church a strip club so that they could continue to meet. What he did was he took off his tie while he was preaching and set it down and called, see, we're a strip club, and submitted his name to the government of California so that he could continue to meet as a church. What? When he took off his tie, participants pulled out dollar bills and were waving it in the congregation. All, t- listen, all to get around potential suffering for being who they are see that's a pastor no matter how clever he thinks that he's being he's trying to serve God's people without suffering suffering is not a tragedy it is a triumph in your life it is the very nature of God being worked into you we're going to see and let's continue on in in Revelation 7 here in verse 9 after this I looked And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. See, previously we had 144,000. Now there's a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They they were wearing what church? White White robes. There it is again. And were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, what started in Israel with the king of Israel now has reached every nation, every tribe, people, and language. The king triumphed by giving his life for the will of God on earth. And now the ultimate triumph of his bride is that uh, there's an innumerable 
amount of believers that have joined in walking that same path to triumph. Experiencing that same process of metamorphosis. But it began with through the loss of their own lives. They were obedient unto death, but it resulted in something that we see here. It resulted in victory. It resulted in triumph. Come on, that needs to be deep within our hearts and minds. When there is difficulty, I am getting that much closer to triumph. When there are trials, I'm getting that much closer to the ultimate victory and being able to participate in wearing that same white robe and holding palm branches in our hands. Victory is when the bride is like the groom. Amen. Straightforward, to the point, simplistic, but profound. You, as participants of the bride of Christ, victory is within you. When you are just like your groom. Just for a moment, think about the times when you've seen this played out in other people's life. You see them go through a difficulty. And they don't see it as a tragedy. They see it as a triumph. You see them looking and acting just like Jesus, the groom. What does that do for you? Encouraging. You get inspiration. They can do it. I can do it as well. That's what our lives are to be. It's a beacon and an example of how we're being transformed, how we're being changed into exactly who Jesus is. This is what the revelation of Jesus is about. This is what must soon take place inside of his servants, what must soon take place inside of you. Uh, Let let me remind you, refresh you what we've been saying multiple times. The content of Revelation chapter 5, it shows us the path to victory. It shows us the path of how to become just like him. Revelation 6, it details those who have gone before us and arrived at the goal. But chapter 7 shows us our destiny. Come on now. Destiny. Everybody say the word destiny. Destiny. Well, this is where we are destined to land when we are holding to the word and the testimony. Church, our destiny is that we participate in his triumph because we become like him in every way. We've become obedient to death just like he was. Yeah. See, chapter 5, you see the Messiah being obedient to death. Chapter 6, you see a remnant. But chapter 7, you realize that it reached to every nation, every tribe, every people, and even every language on the planet. Goodness gracious, there's about 195 nations in the world, but there are thousands and thousands of languages on this world. And everyone is represented before the throne. How are they represented? By those who literally gave their lives unto death and they were clothed in white garments because of it. See, church, this is our destiny. And we're going to be able to bring those from every nation and tribe yes. and people and language. See, this is those who were once foreigners, those who were once aliens and enemies of God that have gone through the metamorphosis, through being obedient to death. It causes us to become exactly what our groom is. Let's take a look at how this great and glorious story culminates. Are y'all ready to see the wedding? This is us getting ready and seeing what the bride has had to do to make herself ready. Let's look at Revelation 19, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Revelation 19 and verse 1. Come on now. To look at the book of Revelation and understand that it's a wedding story. That's something special. Revelation 19.1 says this, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. (laughs) Revelation 7 tells us where the great multitude came from. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For just and true are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Why are we talking in Revelation 19 about the joy of a prostitute being removed from the story? 
Because this is a wedding story. You might have a bride, but you surely don't want a prostitute. Trying to function in some of the same areas, but not becoming what the groom is. The ultimate judgment of God is He's saying, if you're not becoming like me, then you're not mine. And the people in heaven are saying, yes, you did it. They are not becoming like you. And just and true are your judgments upon them. They didn't trick you. Just because they're trying to wear white doesn't mean that they got it the same way that we did. Because we're the bride. It cost us our life. It cost us obedience to death. And the heavens are declaring it. The innumerable multitude, they're shouting phrases. They rightly understand the joy that comes because the prostitute, the pseudo-bride, the false bride is condemned. Why? Because of the treatment on God's actual servants. Let's face it. I I want to show you something, though. Think about this for a second. You realize that God could have condemned the prostitute at any moment in history, right? At any time, God could have done exactly what he did here and eliminated the problem. He could have taken out the forces that are working against us. Any moment that he wants. But he doesn't. Because the difficulties aren't a tragedy. They are what cause the triumph in us. What soon must take place in us. You need the difficulty. You need the struggle. You need those things there because it's causing the metamorphosis to actually take place in you so you can become what he is. Yeah. This is not a tragedy. It's a triumph. Amen. My God, help us here today. This is something that God is instilling in this group of people from the beginning. This is a principle that's been with us. It's what the Stevens family, it's what the Piros have built into this church from the very beginning. As we're all coming along, we're joining in this. But there's something that God is doing to give a clarity to what we all must become. It's not enough for the few in here to become this. We must all become it. And you can. You are able to do this because it requires the metamorphosis of the heavens to be upon you. And you can. Somebody say, I can. can. Somebody say, I will. I will. I will become his bride. This is what God is working into us. Take a look at verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Come on. Verse 9, then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. A certainty that they exist and that you can trust. See, the Father arranged a wedding for the Son. The power of the Spirit transformed the nature of the bride from being earthly, lowly, and base to now being exalted. And get this, ladies, supernatural. Come on. A bride that is not just natural, but supernatural. More than Photoshop could ever produce. There's not enough perfect makeup out there to resemble the bride of Christ. The son loved not his life unto death, and now his bride has the exact same character. Come on. She has joined him fully, becoming like him fully. This is a triumph of unimaginable proportions. Being that every member of the body of Christ called the bride has gone through the same metamorphosis to be exactly what the groom is. There's a call this morning for us to have encouragement deep within our souls. 
to see difficulty for what it really is. You know what pioneered this church? It was an attitude that we were going to be obedient unto death. We were to keep doing what God has called us to do to our dying breath because I know what the result is from the very beginning. There, it's a joy because it is our triumph. When we sit here and we have a room full of fired up saints, men and women of God who are taking serious the gospel and discipleship in a stage filled with more children than we have room for, I'm looking at triumph. I'm no longer looking at tragedy. When I'm seeing marriages being restored, put on right footing and foundations, taking decades of bad habits and replacing them with biblical principles, I'm looking at triumph. I'm not looking at tragedy. The wedding story is one of joy, just like Hebrews says, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame because he knew his destiny. And more importantly, he knew the destiny of his bride, that they were going to join in his triumph as well. Church, can you feel the privilege that it is to be here yes. in this place today? See, this is what we've been talking to you about becoming anti. It's a privilege to give your life for him. It is the highest honor that you will give your life for him every single day. That every decision, you die to yourself and you yeah. follow him. This is the only way. This is the only path for us to reach the nations that God has intended. This is the only way that we will succeed yeah. in becoming like him. Yeah. This is the only way that we can do this. And it's such a privilege. It is. With our wedding language, we're pledging whether life or death, and then we get to actually make good on it. Turn with us as we get ready to close to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 2. Say wedding story when you get there. It says this. Dear friends... Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Like exactly how this is going to look has not been yet been made known. But we know, somebody say we know, we know. that when he appears, we shall be like him. When he appears and he comes, we are going to be like him. Why? Because that's what we're shooting for every single day. For we shall see him as he is. Listen to this next verse. Everyone who has this hope in him. What hope? That when he appears, you will be like him. Yes. When you have this hope, you purify yourself. Why? Because you know that it is your goal to have a metamorphosis into being what he is. Just as he is pure. Do you hear the language? Do you hear how this bride is becoming the groom? Do you hear now having filtered through revelation how this verse should mean even more to you? Maybe than it ever has before. You are a son. You're becoming like him every day. At the time of his peering, you will be like him. Because he can make you to be like him. You have undergone a metamorphosis and it makes you pure. You purify yourself to the same level that he is pure. Because you're going after him with all of your heart. You've laid down your life. You've become obedient to death. This is not a tragedy. It is the ultimate triumph in every life here. Come on, turn with us to 1 Peter 4. Say wedding story whenever you get there. Are you receiving hope this morning? Yes. Hope that you can become just like Jesus. 4 verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. You see, becoming like the groom in this manner. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Done Amen. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. See, the idea is this, that since 
Christ became obedient to death, we must arm ourselves with the same attitude. To have the same resolution of strength and desire to be obedient unto death. That whether it be suffering, dying in the body, we have to see that this is a help. It's a help to us get to the point of being done with sin. Come on, I look forward to that day where I breathe my last and I'm able to say, uh, my life is complete. I've done the will of my Father. I'm being obedient even unto death, and I no longer have to deal with sin. Amen. I'm dead to it once and for all, and now I can stand eternally as a participant in that great multitude that is shouting hallelujah to our King. As a matter of fact, church, we're going to talk more about this on Wednesday, arming yourself with the same attitude. We're talking about becoming like the groom today, but we're going to talk about arming ourselves with the same attitude. It will result in us, the men and the women here in this room, living the rest of our earthly lives with the loss of all things for the very will of God. Come on now. I know you. I know that the men and women in this room have said this. This is your heart's cry. This is what you want, and we're talking about how to arm ourselves to make sure that this takes place. This is going to make you and me dangerous to the enemy. Does anybody in this room want to actually be dangerous to the enemy? Is anybody tired of looking at difficulties and thinking that it's a tragedy? Are you ready to see these things as a triumph in your life? This is the very process that makes you into a virtuous bride. Worth far more than rubies. Worth far more than earthly treasures. Why? Because you become the substance of the kingdom here on this earth. You are taking the kingdom and you are bringing it here because you are living as something that has a different substance in it. Turn with us to our final scripture for today. Uh, to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10. Say wedding story whenever you get there. I want to know. Look how this verse begins. There is a desire because there is a destiny to be had. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Is there a period right after that? No. no. It continues of what he wants to know. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. This is a perspective that is completely absent in the gospel of our day. And it's one that we're going to keep coming back to because we know the, the process of the metamorphosis that's needed and the destiny that we have in Christ. When we participate in the Philippus sharing of his sufferings, in fact, as the verse continues, becoming like him. Say like him. Like him. In his death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. See, we have a call this morning to rejoice. Rejoice that we have the opportunity to become just like our groom in his death because it's not a tragedy. It is a triumph that there is a certainty that resurrection life will come in the midst of being obedient unto death. The reason that we are able to rejoice is that in the midst of difficulties, it doesn't stop here. This needs to be deep within your heart and your soul, that when you're feeling pressed from every side, nothing is working out right, it looks like everything has failed, lift your head up and say, this is not a tragedy, this is a triumph. In him, I'm being made just like him. I'm waiting for Jesus to appear. And I'm not talking about from the clouds, I mean inside of me. Come on, I want Jesus to be revealed from within me so that other people can find the same encouragement to see it as a triumph and not a tragedy. Church, we want to give you hope today. Anybody need a little hope? Anybody want a little hope today? Yes. You can become what the groom is. Come on, I'm looking at faces that need some hope today to understand. Isn't that right, Eve? I'm looking at some faces that your biggest fears are that you can't do what we preach as a church. You're here. You sure are inspired by it. 
but you're afraid that you can't become it. Let me give you hope today. Let me give you this hope today. You can maintain the word. You can maintain the testimony. Let me help you with what your attitude should be today. There are no tragedies in this place. You can't be harmed by the hand of our good God. So any difficulties that are there are meant for your triumph. They're meant to make you into what He is. And you have to be armed with this same attitude. We want to help you rejoice today. As you become like the groom in His death, you get to be like the groom in His resurrected life. I want to read one more scripture with you. Justin, would you get this stuff out of our way for me? Everybody turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. He's promised you that when He gets here, when He comes, you will be like Him. His promises are yes in Christ. And so through Him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Set His seal of ownership on us. And put His Spirit in our hearts as a what? As a deposit that guarantees what is still yet to come. The metamorphosis into becoming what He is is us becoming obedient to death and there's no other way around that. But how can you become obedient to death? Is you have to have His Spirit at work in you. But pastor, I already speak in tongues. Yes, but do you view his baptism in the spirit as a guarantee that you will become like the groom? It's the guarantee that heaven is kissing earth. That the kingdom that is to come is here now in you. I'm going to have, I'm going to ask Nick and Sam to come forward. I'm going to ask the Lentons to come forward. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. And Pastor Matt is going to lead us in a closing here. But what I know in my soul right now is that some of us need such a refreshing in His Spirit. You need to know that it is guaranteed by the feel and the flow and the fill of the Holy Spirit in your life that you can, in fact, become what He is. That you can learn and you can be changed to be obedient even all the way to the point of death. God is here with us today to guarantee some stuff in your own hearts. To guarantee His will inside of you. It's time for us to become what He is. Go ahead and stand to your feet. This morning in our worship service, we had a word that came forward about God breathing His breath into us. That He had bones coming back together, ligament, sinew being formed. This is what God is wanting to do right now. He's been doing it since the first worship service, doing it as you hear this word, but now's the time to act. Lord, I need your spirit to revive my soul. I need your power to remind me about the triumph of what normally would look like tragedy.
I need help to overcome just my fear. I think I can speak for everybody in this room. That is one of the central items on your list of all traits. Some way or another, it's tied to fear. What you should be hearing is that God is wanting to equip you with a hope that you can be like him. Equip you with an arming of the same attitude and therefore having the ability to rejoice. So as I pray, come down and get the help that you need that revives hope, that revives an arming of the same attitude and revives the ability just to rejoice in the joy set before you. Mighty God, we call out to your name, Yahweh. And in that name, we find confidence to approach your throne and ask of you. Lord, we need a revival in our heart. We need that breath, your breath, your ruach, to come and renew and refresh who we are and what we're called to do. Lord, to connect the fabric of who our, who our soul is and our spirits and what we are designed by you to do. Let your breath enter into us, Lord God. Let us be filled anew and afresh with your living water and experience a living hope, a living attitude, a living ability to rejoice in who you are and the guarantee that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.